Hey there, this is Rin Dupes and Katrina Vargas. We're the hosts and creators of this new podcast, That Other F Word. That word, it's feminism. We are proud, happy, open-minded feminists, and we're not embarrassed to tell you that. In fact, we'll tell you all about it on our new podcast coming to Stage Diver Radio Network and everywhere podcasts are found. Check out our Wool Manifesto now to learn more about what to expect and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all around the beautiful wide world of the internet. It is another wonderful episode of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. I am always am your humble host, Michael Shibley. Hope you guys are having a great one out there. It is another beautiful day here in beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee from the Stage Diver Radio Studios. I am broadcasting live. We got a big show. Of course, we got the whole first week of college football to recap. And of course, the NFL is starting on Get Started Thursday night. And then, of course, we got a full slate of games happening Sunday and a couple more on Monday night. So we'll get into all of that and where I think this season is going to go for the NFL. And of course, just more news and notes. And of course, we had some Great wrestling over the weekend at the All-In Show in Chicago. We'll break all that down, but first, let me break all this stuff down for you. Of course, this is a great podcast network here at StageDiverRadio.com where you can listen to my podcast, plus all the other great ones that we have, including Scruffy Little Podcast, J&B's DLC, One Faller 60 Minutes, Deadbeat Radio, People in My Neighborhood, The Other F Word, and other great, great shows are coming to the network as well. And of course, you can email us any of your thoughts or comments. You can email us at stagediverradio at gmail.com. And you can always check us out and call us on the hotline at 865-888-0109. And of course, any of the places you get your wonderful podcast listening app, whichever app you have there, uh, iTunes or Google Play, of course, Stitcher and TuneIn. And of course, you can also listen to us at the website stagediverradio.com. Any of those places, wherever you listen, please like, subscribe, share, rate, comment, all that good stuff. Review us. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you guys think about what we are doing here. If I'm doing something you don't like or you disagree with the topic, comment, call in. I want to hear from you. I would love to reply and let you know what I think as well. And just we have a back and forth. We can work together. We can have fun. We can live in harmony here at Stage Diver Radio Network. We would love to hear from you there. And of course, you can follow me, Michael Shibley, on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. And you can follow me on Instagram at Michael underscore Shibley. And of course, we have our Facebook page at Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook. You can like us there and you can check us out. And of course, we post a bunch of different stories during the week there. And I always have live video reviews where we talk about the upcoming college football week in more in-depth where we make score predictions and all those kind of cool stuff. And then after the Tennessee game, Whenever I get a chance to there, I will, of course, have a live uh, recap of the Tennessee game as well and uh, just let you know my thoughts going in to uh, the next week and all that cool stuff. So got all that stuff out of the way. I'm sure Mitch appreciates me getting all that stuff uh, mentioned and brought up here on the podcast. So let's dive right into it. And of course, the big news 
all this week has been college football. Week one has finally finished. Uh, we record this on Tuesday. They finally had the last game on Monday night as uh, Florida State losing in their uh, in the Willie Taggart's debut as head coach there to Virginia Tech. That was a Bud Foster-led defense for the Hokies that just dominated Florida State. That was probably one of the worst debuts at a major program I have seen with the effort that Florida State had in that one. That was uh, not good. That blocked punt. Beamer Ball is alive and well at Virginia Tech. They blocked the punt. He he casually caught it and touchdown right there. That's uh, not a good look for Florida State, but congratulations to the Hokies. I did not think the Hokies were going to be able to go down to Tallahassee and get the win down there. So that is awesome for Justin Fuente's squad in Blacksburg as they will go on the road, which is a tough place to go in Tallahassee and get the win there. But here's a bunch of other things where we look. I could talk games and all that other stuff. We can talk about like game recaps, but that's boring. You can go anywhere and hear that. What I want to kind of mention and talk about on this show as we go through the uh, college football season, more of just the things that we have learned week to week as we go through the season. So some of the big highlights, really, when it boils down to it. And, of course, the big one that I wanted to talk about first was that Tua Tagovailoa is the uh, main man in Tuscaloosa. He got the start again. It is Tua time in uh, Tuscaloosa at the University of Alabama. Of course, he came in at halftime for Jalen Hurts at the uh, during the national championship game. He started the second half and led Alabama to the victory but, man, he looked great as Alabama just took care and demolished Louisville 51-14. to uh, Tugvalova, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this name about 8,000 times, I'm sure, during the course of the season. So I apologize. But Tugvalova had uh, five scoring drives that he led for Alabama to Jalen Hurts' one. Jalen Hurts did get some playing time, but, man, he looked like he was trying to force things or make too much happen. He was not letting the game come to him at all. He did lead one scoring drive, but that was pretty much it. And with Tua under center, really, I think when you look at things now, this is really the first dominant quarterback that Nick Saban has had at Alabama during his tenure. So... And, of course, you got, like, McCarron people who might say stuff, but I disagree with that. Two is definitely the most dominated quarterback. He's had dominating defenses. He's had dominating running backs, but never really a true dominating quarterback. And Tua has been doing a great job of that. He throws that ball with ease. It is scary to watch him play. And what's, of course, scary is Alabama still has that great and powerful defense. When you look at it, Louisville... Who, yeah, they lost Lamar Jackson, they lost some talent, but they're still a pretty solid team. They ran the ball 26 times on Saturday night. They only got 16 yards. Ugh, it's not good for anybody else who's going to be playing Alabama this season. So, And it did get announced uh, that uh, Tua is going to be the starting quarterback now for Alabama. Jalen Hurts will still play some quarterback, but they're going to use him in special needs and use his special talents is what they're saying. So he's just going to be used, I guess, sparingly with that. He might play more, maybe a wide receiver, maybe as like an H-back or something like that. We'll just kind of see how that shapes up through the course of the season. Of course, if uh, Tua gets hurt during the course of the season, you've got a very competent quarterback in Jalen Hurts as a backup. I mean, he's one of the winningest backup quarterbacks I've ever seen in the history of college football, if he's going to now be the backup. So you've got that there. Alabama looking dominant in their week one win over Louisville. Auburn's win over Washington. 
I think that's going to have some big college football playoff implications for both sides when it comes down to it. Auburn, of course, gets this win over the team that is favored to win the Pac-12. So when you look at it and say Auburn goes through the season undefeated until they get to Alabama and they lose to Alabama, and that's what decides the SEC Western Division. And Washington, of course, goes on and even wins maybe the Pac-12, but Auburn won the head-to-head, even though, yes, it's in Atlanta, but still, it was a neutral site game. And Auburn goes out there. Defensive line, by the way, looked great in that contest. So when you really boil down to it, I think Auburn would get the nod over Washington in that one. Also, you have to look at Washington. Yeah, they've got that one loss, but say they run the table in the Pac-12 and do everything and don't lose another game all season, going to Atlanta to play an SEC school and hanging with them all game long, that's going to be a good strength of schedule win for them, which I know the committee would probably look at as well. So that game, really good for both teams. Again, I know both of them would rather have the win, but Auburn was the one to get the win over Washington. So, But I think both teams can view this as a positive when it comes to the big picture of the college football playoff, as long as they both continue to win. Also, One of the big coaching matchups you had in week one was Notre Dame and Michigan. And Brian Kelly right now is the better college coach than Jim Harbaugh is right now. His quarterback, Wimbush, uh, for the Fighting Irish, he looked very much improved at the quarterback position, which was something they were trying to get from him. Notre Dame, they are now, after what they did, they really dominated so much of this game. Yeah, Michigan made it close and they had a chance there at the end, but still Notre Dame really was the dominate uh, team throughout this game and Notre Dame they're a contender for the college football playoff they've got a tough tough schedule though when you look at it they've got uh, right at the end of this month they've got Stanford and then they got to go to Virginia Tech who again just won at Florida State so they've got them plus Pittsburgh that's three consecutive weeks in a row right the last week weekend of September and then into the first two weeks of October they've got Stanford at Virginia Tech and then home against Pittsburgh who is going to be a tough out in the ACC so you got to look at that meanwhile they've got to go they host Florida State of course at a callback to the game of the century from 1993 and then they've got of course got to travel to USC out there in Los Angeles to play for the George Shillelagh at the end of the season. So Notre Dame, they've got themselves in the driver's seat where they, if they just keep winning, they're going to be in this discussion all season long if they keep winning and looking good doing it. And I think Brian Kelly's got them in a great position right now to do so. Meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh, he is 9-9 nine and nine in his past 18 games. I think Urban Meyer has only lost eight games in his tenure at Ohio State. So... Really, when you look at it, has Harbaugh lived up to these expectations? And I don't know if he has. I mean, he came in with so much pomp and circumstance, all these big recruits, and they just haven't been able to do much at all. I mean, when you look comparing his first 40 games to Brady Hoke's first 40 games, he's got one win better. Jim Harbaugh is 28-12 and 12 over his first 40 games. Brady Hoke was 27-13 and 13 over his first 40 games and of course we all know Brady Hoke here on Rocky Top he was the interim coach for Butch Jones and we saw how well he did there 
not good. And of course, the big thing, of course, with Michigan is what is what do you do against your rivals? And Jim Harbaugh, he is one in five versus Ohio State and Michigan State. And of course, he's also 0-17 versus ranked opponents on the road. So he's just not getting it done right now where it counts. Yes, he's winning all the other games, and that's perfectly fine. But these other games that you need to win to be the big competitor and the big dog that you are and the the team that they are paying so much money for Jim Harbaugh to coach. They're paying him a lot of money to do this. And if he's just being, you know, fourth place in the Big Ten uh, Eastern Division every year, that's not going to get it done. That's going to upset a lot of people there at the Maize and Blue. I know he's got a lot of fidelity, of course, there. But, man, I think he's got to do something this season. He's definitely got to beat Michigan State and would probably not heard him beat Ohio State as well. We'll see. Again, this is just week one, so there's a lot more football, as always, to be played. But... It's not off to a good start there for Jim Harbaugh and the Maize and Blue. You talk about these weekend games, again, that happened, the the special games that happened on Sunday and on uh, Monday night. LSU, they came to play. Miami did not, as LSU won that game 33-17, to even though Miami pretty much outgained LSU everywhere in, uh, in pretty much all the offensive categories. So, yes, LSU did get the win. I do put a little bit of an asterisk by that, though, so I'm not going to start crowning LSU as ready to contend with Alabama and Auburn and Mississippi State out in the SEC West just yet because I still think their quarterback play is not quite there. They did get a great win here. I am very impressed that they came out and beat Miami the way they did, but I'm not convinced just yet. They're going to have to show me a little bit more on offense before I'm convinced, and I was just real surprised how flat and just not uninspired maybe just they just Miami just didn't play well at all and I was very surprised from that from head coach Mark Richt and that turnover chain that they've got for Miami's defense so that was not good of course Virginia Tech I mentioned it earlier very impressive going down there and winning in Tallahassee so hats off to them Maryland they again uh, hats off to them as well as they own Texas right now they have won they had this home and home with Texas last year uh, they played in Austin, and this year they played, not in College Park, they played at Landover, Maryland, where the Redskins play. But Maryland won both of those games, and it was amazing. I did not see this one coming. I didn't even have this in my picks game, because I thought Texas was going to win this one, not handily, but they were going to win it pretty convincingly, I thought. But they just did not come to play. They Maryland apparently just has Tom Herman and Texas's number, because who even after the tumultuous offseason that Maryland had with the, of course the just all the bad stuff surrounding the death of offensive lineman Jordan McNair there, you know the their uh, DJ Durkin the head coach from Maryland is still suspended. So Matt Canada, uh, the offensive coordinator, was the interim head coach for this game. A great touch if you didn't get to see it. Uh, Maryland when they came out for their first offensive play, they only came out with ten players instead of the usual eleven, leaving a void there uh, in respect to uh, Jordan McNair, and they took a delay of game penalty, and then Texas, being the classy uh, team that they were, made sure to decline the penalty because that, you know, that's what you do. That was just great moment there and a, a show of good class by both schools in honoring of a fallen teammate in Jordan McNair. But, man, I'm sure uh, the fans of Texas are really happy that they don't have to play Maryland anymore, which is weird because Maryland they still got to play in the Big Ten East, so this is probably the only blip we're going to see of Maryland. Everything else 
I'm predicting he's going to see uh, the Terrapins getting pretty much destroyed by Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State for the rest of the season. But we'll see. I've been surprised before, but uh, I don't see much coming from Maryland uh, after this big win over Texas. Meanwhile, you speak of some of these other teams in the Big Ten East, and you've got Michigan State and Penn State and Ohio State. They all won, and Michigan State and Penn State, they just do the standards survive in advance, and that's what they did. Michigan State, though, they needed a late touchdown to beat Utah State, and Penn State, 11 years to the day that Appalachian State knocked off Michigan, Appalachian State took Penn State to overtime, Penn State getting the win, but whoo, it just looked like at the end of that game, Appalachian State just wanted it more. So there were questions there. Hey, if Michigan State and Penn State go on to have great seasons, these are just going to be blips on the radar, but it is just not good. They're struggle wins if you look at it that way, and uh, that is not good. In Ohio State, they scored a lot of points against Oregon State, but they also gave up 31 points to an Oregon State team that's got a new head coach and it's not supposed to be that good. And they gave up a lot of rushing yards, too. And that's not good if you're trying to stop the run, and you've got to stop the run to win and get to that next level to win the college football playoff and to win Big Ten titles. you got to stop the run. And the fact that they gave up a lot of those yardages, that's not good. So we'll see. Again, as the season goes on, these are just things that I've learned, and we're looking for as the season goes on. Also, Oklahoma, they humbled Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin. I thought that game, I still thought Oklahoma was going to win it by probably a couple touchdowns, but I just did not see this coming. Oklahoma looked great against a very good non-conference opponent in Florida Atlantic, and one of the, um, and again, I thought Florida Atlantic had the best shot besides Boise State to get to one of those uh, New Year's Six Bowls that the smaller conferences get a chance to go after. So we'll see how these teams go the rest of the way. Oklahoma, they've got UCLA coming into town, uh, coming up. So we'll see how Oklahoma continues to go there. Speaking of UCLA, Chip Kelly, head coach there, ugh, they uh, fell flat and did not uh, did not perform well. They lost their He lost his debut as UCLA's head coach to Cincinnati. And then Kevin Sumlin also lost his Pac-12 coaching debut as he and the Arizona Wildcats lost to BYU, which I thought was surprising. Khalil Tate was very quiet overall. I thought he was going to get a lot more yardage in that one. Meanwhile, you look down in the SEC. Congratulations to all the other teams in the SEC as the SEC went 13-1 in week one and represented the conference well everybody except my beloved Tennessee Vols who lost 42-14 to West Virginia this game again a little bit of a wake-up call all of those out there in big orange country I know a lot of us I predicted of course Tennessee to lose this game I thought it was going to be a lot closer than it was but Will Greer he woke up after that second half uh, rain delay that they had at halftime and West Virginia just torched the Vols uh Will Greer had 429 yards through the air and five touchdowns. So West Virginia, I do think is going to be a very good team. I think it's the Big 12 title is up between them and Oklahoma, and they play at the end of the year, so that could be very exciting. West Virginia has a great chance of being undefeated before Oklahoma comes to Morgantown at the end of the year, and Will Greer looked very good. And Tennessee fans just need to kind of, a lot of them who kept thinking, hey, Maybe we've got a real shot at beating West Virginia. I think we're going to be better than what a lot of people think. 
it's not going to look that way right now. I mean, I said at the start of the season that Tennessee was a six and sixteen, and I think they're going to go two and six to open up the year, just the way the schedule goes. So, and Tennessee fans, I some of them already seem to be losing heart, and it's like you can't. You have to have these expectations. I know, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's come in and changed a lot of things, but. This is a team, Tennessee, that went 4-8, and eight, and Tennessee has never lost eight games through the course of a season. So you have to realize that there are some things that need to be fixed, and this is not a call and get a Cam Newton-type transfer to come in and make up a lot of errors and cover a lot of problems. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed. You look, though, and there are a lot of things I feel really good about, even though uh, the result was nowhere near what I was wanting it to be. I thought Jared Garantano at quarterback played very well. The stats are a little low for the passing yardage, but I still thought he played very well, especially in that second quarter. I thought they did some things. I thought uh, Tim Jordan did a great job running the ball. I think the offensive line, it took a little bit, but I think they finally kind of got on track there after some uh, opening snafus that they had during the game. Meanwhile, the defense, they have got to find a way to get some pass rush. They did not do well uh, sacking the quarterback last season at all. I think they were last in the SEC in that, and they did not get off to a good start. They got one sack in this game, and Will Greer dropped back to pass a lot. So that's something the Vols are going to have to keep working on is trying to get pressure because, again, you've got a young secondary, and you saw how young they were because of how bad they got torched by Will Greer and the those Mountaineer wide receivers. So there's things to work on. They're not just completely unfixable, and we've got a couple games to work on them. We've got East Tennessee State University coming up. The Buccaneers uh, are going to come to Neyland Stadium tomorrow, or tomorrow on, uh, on Saturday. And then the Saturday after that, you've got the University of Texas at El Paso, the Miners of UTEP, coming into Neyland Stadium. So those are two games that Tennessee should be able to go out and win and hopefully dominate. That's what I'm hoping, because if they don't dominate those, it could be even worse than what I'm thinking. So I think they do have a good chance to do that, make people feel better, and if they can get those two wins, then Florida comes calling, and we will go from there. So just look at all that. Just, again, cheer on your falls. Don't lose heart. This season was not going to be a national championship or even a SEC title contention-type season. And that's the way it's looking after game one. So everybody just needs to just chill out, root on the Vols, root them hard, you know, stay on with them because I do think Jeremy Pruitt's going to get these Tennessee Vols back to where we want them to be. It's just not going to be this season. So just chill out. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. We will move on from there. But again, Tennessee's next opponent coming up, the ETSU Buccaneers out of Johnson City. Head coach Randy Sanders, of course, was Tennessee's offensive coordinator for a long time. He was also a backup quarterback, and he was held for place kicking back in the 80s. So he's been around the Tennessee program, but he is now the head coach at ETSU. He made a great quote today saying that if ETSU was somehow able to upset Tennessee, he said, and I'm quoting, I'll have the goalpost over my shoulder. Uh, I won't need the bus. I'll be walking back to Johnson City, probably naked. So uh, let's just hope Tennessee wins just so we don't have to have that image burned into our retinas for the rest of our lives. But that's going to wrap up the college football week one, just things we've learned here on uh, Modern Day Gladiators. 
couple big games coming up on week two to look forward to. Georgia at South Carolina. That should be a great matchup. And, of course, Clemson is traveling to Aggieland to uh, take on Texas A&M. That should be a fun one. Penn State and Pitt renew their rivalry that they've just kind of jump-started the past couple of years. Good to have that one back as Penn State travels to Pittsburgh. And USC and Stanford in a big early Pac-12 matchup. So looking forward to that. Meanwhile, let's go to the professional side of the football world and take a look as the NFL season gets underway starting on Thursday night as the Super Bowl trophy, uh, Super Bowl champions from Super Bowl 52, the Philadelphia Eagles get to raise that banner there in uh, Philadelphia as they host the Atlanta Falcons. So that should be a great matchup on Thursday night. And then, of course, all the other games get going on Sunday and then a pair of games on Monday night. So get your fantasy draft done and ready for week one because it's starting very soon. Looking forward to the NFL season. Let me just give you a quick rundown of my picks and who's going to win out of the divisions in the wildcard. Let me give you the playoff team. So the division winners that I've got coming out of the AFC, I've got the Patriots because obviously they're going to win uh, their division. They never lose it. Uh, the Steelers, the Jaguars, and the Chargers, those are your division winners in the AFC. The wildcard teams, I've got Cincinnati, and I've got the Houston Texans getting in as a wildcard team. Deshaun Watson is going to be back and at full strength. He should be really fun to watch. Hopefully he has another great year. I think he does, so Houston gets a wildcard spot. Meanwhile, in the NFC, uh, the division winners, I've got the Eagles repeating uh, in getting a division title. The New Orleans Saints, I think, are going to come up and do really well again this season. The Minnesota Vikings and then the Los Angeles Rams, I've got them winning their division. The wild card, I've got the Packers getting in and my San Francisco 49ers. Maybe it's a little bit of a homer pick. That's fine. I do think Garoppolo has got some good things going at quarterback. I think they've got some other things working for them. I'm going to buy into the hype. We'll see how it goes as the season progresses, but I've got the 49ers right now getting a wild card berth. And my Super Bowl... Super Bowl 53, I've got it being the Patriots versus the Rams. That's my pick to start the season. We will see how that goes. But, hey, I'm not going to go against Tom Brady for as long as he's playing. And I really think the Rams have got a lot going. They've made some some key moves. Jared Goff, of course, has done a great job there at quarterback. They finally signed Aaron Donald to an extension. They've signed Indomitian Sue. They're going all in this year. They're making a play for it, and I like that, that they're just taking – a risk and they're going after it and they're trying to get that Super Bowl championship. My hat's off to them. And I don't like the Rams. As a Niners fan, I hate the Rams. So we'll see. But I do think uh, they're going to be uh, representing the NFC in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady and the Patriots. But of course, we can't get away from the NFL without the news that came out today as Colin Kaepernick has been named uh, one of the faces not the face, one of the faces of Nike's 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign. So he is one of the guys who is in a lot of their ads that they're going to be running and having different things there. Um, and it's funny because Nike, of course, has a big working relationship with the NFL. All the the jerseys and all that stuff are all Nike uh, gear. So this is really interesting to watch as this continues uh, and, of course, Colin Kaepernick is right now suing uh, the NFL owners for collusion for keeping him out of the league. For those of you who don't know, and if you've been living under a rock and you're a sports fan, how do you not know who Colin Kaepernick is at this point? He was a former 49ers quarterback who, in his last season with the Niners, was taking a knee to protest racial injustice. 
uh, he believed was happening around the world, so that was his way to do it, was to take a knee in protest of that during the national anthem. Of course, this has become a big firestorm politically. It has just become a very big mess, and again, I think the NFL has a big fault in what they've been doing in handling this national anthem because you've got a president who just keeps throwing matches at it anytime something in the news with this comes up. He just throws matches at it and just keeps spouting off, and it just becomes a lot of bad press for the NFL and for everybody. I know ratings are down, and I think a lot of that has to do with some of these protests, if you look at it, but I think if the NFL had made a compromise in the offseason, instead of just coming up with that ad hoc ruling that they did where players have to stand if they come out, if they are out of the locker room, but if they're back inside, they don't have to come out for the National Anthem, but they can't protest if they're out for it. So it's just frustrating to see if you look at everything like that. I really still think, and I will continue to pound on this, and if the NFL had come out and said, hey, you guys can come out to the come out to the national anthem. There's no protests as long as we will now not uh, test for marijuana. I think if they made that kind of exchange, I think things would be a lot better. I think that could be some ground to work with at this point. But it seems like both sides are at odds, and it doesn't look like we're going to have any type of ruling on what's going to happen uh, with the national anthem and protests going into now the regular season. Meanwhile, Nike has again come out and has Colin Kaepernick as the one of the faces of this campaign. Uh, some of the other faces include Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Shaquem Griffin, who is the, uh, the he played for Central Florida last year, and now he is with the Seattle Seahawks. Of course, he's missing a hand, so that's just a really awesome story that he's been able to make it all the way to the NFL with that. Lacey Baker, she is a uh, X-Games skateboarder. And of course, Serena Williams and LeBron James are also faces of this campaign. Kaepernick's image says, and it ties right into the protests that he's been having, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And again, this is a very uh, divisive issue that just seems like it's just going to keep going. We're, there's no end of this in sight, obviously. And it just it's really interesting to watch. If you look at Nike's stock as of today when we're recording this on Tuesday after this was announced, uh, as the market has now closed, uh, Nike stock was down th a little over 3% at close of prices today for anybody who is investing in anything. So we'll see with reaction to that. But the big thing has always been people uh, doing their own type of protests. It started when Colin Kaepernick you know, was protesting the national anthem originally where you had people burning his jerseys. And uh, now you've got a bunch of people destroying their Nike gear. They're cutting up, you know, cutting the Nike swoosh out of their socks, which makes the socks pretty much unwearable. They're burning their shoes. They're doing all types of things to Nike things. And, you know, and again, it's your stuff. That's perfectly fine. My opinion is Nike already has your money from that gear. Now you just got to go out and buy something else. So... I mean, and again, you, you're fine. You, if you don't want to wear any Nike stuff, that is perfectly fine. But one of a, a friend of mine on, uh, on Facebook made a great point when it talks about burning things. Cause I, again, I still think all the burning stuff, when you burn jerseys, when a player leaves or does something, or you burn your ticket, your season tickets, it, I don't think it really makes the impact that you think it makes. I think it just gets you a couple views and likes from people 
more than you think it does, but I don't think it really causes any type of controversy or it's going to change anybody's mind, you burning your own stuff. And a Facebook friend of mine named Alrico Yancey, good guy, he made a great point, and I fully support this. So anyone interested in throwing away his or her Nike shoes, let me know. I will be sure to collect them and give them to the homeless people I see at various parks and bridges across the city. Thanks. So I think that is a great point uh, that he made. And I think that's what, if you don't want your Nike stuff, that's fine. You can get rid of it, but don't just destroy it. Donate it. Give it to somebody who might need it and doesn't either care or has no issue with what's going on with Colin Kaepernick or Nike or anything. They just want a pair of shoes or something that they can wear and have a better life. If it's a pair of shoes that you've been wearing, even if they're a pair of shoes that you just mow the lawn with, donate them. Someone else could benefit from those. You don't need to just destroy it, which I think is just a pointless form of protest personally. And again, this is just me. And again, any comments, quotes that you have, you disagree with me, I want to hear from you at stagediverradio at gmail.com or call the hotline, 865-888-0109. You want to debate this? We can talk about this all day long. I'm perfectly happy to debate you. And of course, you can come at me on Twitter as well at Michael underscore Shibley. But that's going to wrap up this first long segment here on Modern Day Gladiators. Love to have you here with you. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more awesomeness on the other side of this break you're listening to again modern day gladiators on the stage diver radio network hey guys this is jay kendrick and i'm me and we're here today to talk to you about a new video game podcast coming to stage diver radio network entitled jmb's dlc so has this ever happened to you while you're playing a video game get good noob your mom looks like sean connery and i'd still banger get wrecked well, you're in luck, because we have a podcast by gamers. For gamers. Every other Monday, everywhere podcasts can be found, and at stagediverradio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Again, I am your humble host, Michael Shibley. Thanks for hanging around with us here on another great episode, jam-packed with all types of goodies. But now, let's get into some of the stuff, again, that has fallen through the cracks in the just, just can't seem to make its way through with all the football coverage we need to find just a way to get our news in so let's just find out some of the other news bits that has been going on around the world let's hit up shibbles and bits ah, i love this Give them, i think pretty much the whole time i'm gonna have this as my uh, buffer music for shibbles and bits gonna love it it's great love having it so Awesome to have it here. Again, it's Shivels and Bits, and let's dive in to uh, a story that just continues to just not uh, resolve itself. Any USA Gymnastics, the CEO, Kerry Perry, has resigned after months of criticism from former Olympians and current national team members. Perry replaced uh, Steve Penny in December as CEO, who resigned in wake of the Larry Nassar sexual abuse scandal. Again, they're just not hiring the right people at all. I mean, he was somebody who had been involved with USA Gymnastics for a long time. And also, uh, one of the other firings that has happened with USA Gymnastics over the past week was Mary Lee Tracy. She was uh, named the head of the Women's Elite Development Program, but she was fired after contacting Nasser Survivor gold medalist Allie Raceman, a represented playoff in a lawsuit against USA Gymnastics. And again, it's just not good PR there for USA Gymnastics. I just 
don't understand why they just don't burn the whole thing down at this point. I mean, this scandal happened, and I know you've still got a lot of people within the system, but, I mean, you've got to get change the leadership at the top completely. you got to get people in there who have had nothing to do with USA Gymnastics at all at that level and just find a way in it. Get some, you know, get some gymnastics people who know their stuff, but then get some other business-minded people or something in there with you who might know how to help kind of run things that way. Again, I'm not a CEO or anything, but you got to do something. You got to just scrub yourself clean of all the crap that has been involved with USA Gymnastics as part of this Larry Nasser thing and anybody who just was involved. You're just going to have to get rid of them. Burn it down. Start up. USA Gymnastics is still going to be great no matter who's in charge of it because we got a lot of talented, talented people in gymnastics in this country. And we will root for them just as hard as we always do when the Olympics come calling uh, the next time around in 2020. Also, back in the world of college football, this was an interesting note, as former Michigan wide receiver and Big Ten Network analyst Braylon Edwards has been suspended indefinitely after violating the network's social media guidelines. Uh, After tweeting a very critical tweet of Michigan, essentially saying that uh, offensive lineman Cesar Ruiz was weak and that new quarterback Shea Patterson was scared of the offense being predictable and the program was sad is pretty much what he said. He had some other colorful language in there that I will not repeat on this show. It's just a bad thing. First of all, I don't think Shea Patterson was scared at all watching that game, I think more or less they were just keeping the handcuffs on him, which is weird because Shea Patterson played for a couple years in the SEC. He stared down worse defenses than what, uh, you know, scarier defenses than what Notre Dame was throwing at him. So that, I think, was part of it. I think my my criticism would be you should have let the guy just go out there and throw the ball a lot more than you did, take some more shots downfield, even though they finally had a 50-yard completion, which was a longer completion than I think a Michigan quarterback's had in a while. It's been at least five years, if not longer than that, uh, with quarterback play there. So, again, Braylon Edwards should not have said what he had said. He apologized. Of course, he was inebriated and emotional, which is why you need to think about things a little bit. First of all, don't tweet when you're drunk or inebriated or any type of... If your equilibrium is off by anything or if you're just... You know, if any type of thing like that, don't be tweeting because none of it's going to be anything good at all. So don't do that. And also, especially when you're emotional, just think about it for a second. Take a beat, especially if you're in a place in an an influencer of some kind or an analyst or something where your job ties into things like that. Just take a second before you hit send. Read over it. Think about it. And then hit it. Of course, if you're drunk, that's... uh, not going to uh, matter probably anyway. You're not going to be thinking about that anyway. So hopefully Braylon Edwards has now learned his lesson and I hope he gets to keep his job. I don't like to see people lose their jobs uh, over things like this if they've learned their lesson. So now if he goes out again and does it again and hasn't learned his lesson, then fire him. But, uh, you know, give the guy a second chance. Meanwhile, into the baseball world, uh, Shohei Otani the uh, pitcher slash hitter for the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He has had an incredible season. Even though he has been on the disabled list for a little while, he has become the first player, this is a great stat, since Babe Ruth back in 1919 with 50 innings pitched and 15 home runs 
in a single season. So that is awesome to see. If he had been able to play a lot longer this season or more, probably the numbers would have been even better, and he probably would have won Rookie of the Year. I don't know if he's going to be consider, uh, considered for that. We'll see as the year and awards come, as now we've got the March to October in baseball. So this will be a great time. We'll have more baseball, of course, here on Modern Day Gladiators as it gets closer to playoff time. Also, one year after the FBI investigation into college basketball led to his termination, Louisville head coach Rick, or former, I should say, Louisville head coach Rick Patino writes in a uh, new book called Patino, My Story, which was co-authored by uh, Seth Kaufman, pretty much said, my coaching career is possibly finished. He pretty much thinks that no one's going to hire him, and I think that's probably a good thing. He's had a couple of scandals, and this was finally the one that got him fired. Not the hiring of exotic dancers and drugs and things like that. Nope, the FBI investigation. And when you get too many of these scandals tied to you that start to be major scandals, you got to go, and probably nobody is going to hire you at that point. So he's done some great things for college basketball, and of course now some bad things as well. But I think Rick Pitini will be looked on mostly fondly by college basketball fans at least respected as a coach. You might not look at him fondly as a Tennessee fan. I don't really like him for he coached at Kentucky and then at Louisville, so I'm not a big fan of that. But, hey, we'll see. He can go off and still own those horses that he has because, obviously, if you've lived in Kentucky for five seconds and you have enough money, you're going to own a thoroughbred racing horse. That's just how it works up there. Meanwhile, on to the hard court of tennis uh, number three seed and defending U.S. Open champ Sloane Stevens was ousted in the quarterfinal 6-2, 6-3 by 19th seed Anastasia Sevatova of Latvia. So she is out. She looked very uh, flustered. It's been, again, very hot U.S. Open. The heat in New York has been insane during this tournament. They've had you know, weather uh, you know, heat advisories, and they've had to stop play because of the heat. You've had players even having to retire because of heat exhaustion and things like that. So, and again, retiring in tennis means they just essentially can't finish the match. They've tapped out, essentially, is what that means. So it has been a tough one. So whoever wins this is going to be really, really tough, uh, a tough ombre, whoever does that. But it's not going to be, on the men's side, it's not going to be the number two seed, Roger Federer, as he was upset by unseated Australian uh, John Millman, uh, which, uh, of course, unfortunately took away a showdown uh, with Federer and Novak Djokovic, which was going to happen in the quarterfinals, but that is not going to happen as Milman will now face Novak Djokovic. This is the first loss in a U.S. Open uh, that Roger Federer has had to a player outside of the top 50 rankings. Uh, Milman is ranked number 55 currently. Uh, he had a nice uh, quote at the end as they were interviewing him. He said, and this match ended like a little after 1 o'clock, Eastern time, and he said he's got to get some rest because he's got to wake up because he's got a 7 a.m. fantasy draft, and he's got the second pick in the draft, and he couldn't decide between uh, Gurley or Bell. So, again, get your uh, fantasy teams lined up because football season uh, in the NFL is starting on Thursday, so get those drafts uh, handled. So, But uh, we'll see who he picked, but congratulations again to John Millman beating a tennis legend in Roger Federer and knocking him out of the U.S. Open. And that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits for today. Thank you guys for listening to that as all the different sports news comes around and so much of it is overshadowed by, by football. we got to get some of this stuff 
in because there is other things other than football, whether you agree with that or not, there is. But of course, we get into the segment that always wraps up the Modern Day Gladiators podcast, and that would be, we're getting in the ring, we're going to become gladiators ourselves, and that's wrestling. And of course, the big news and the highlight of this wrestling uh, weekend was all in that was happening there in Chicago. And again, this was the show that was run by Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. Got a lot of great indie talent. Pretty much all the so many of the big names that aren't signed to the WWE at all were out there and got some great exposure for a lot of guys who some you know fans might not have seen. You know, Pentagon, who has done some great stuff with TNA and of course at Lucha Underground, his brother Phoenix. Uh, you know, Bandito, Flip Gordon, Nick Aldis, who was now the former NWA World's Heavyweight Champion as he lost the title to Cody as uh, Cody has now uh, joined his father as holding that prestigious, the 10 pounds of gold, the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Some of the other cool moments that happened, uh, Joey Ryan has now been resurrected, as many people thought that uh, Hangman Page had murdered him in Japan, but no, Joey Ryan is back and as just lewd and crude as ever he debuted the got to see the uh, penis suplex on uh, live pay-per-view you guys can just check that out on youtube just look up joey ryan penis suplex and i will just let you guys have that one there the big thing uh one of the big things as well was after a great match between kenny omega and the pentagon uh the lights went out and Pentagon got back up and beat up Kenny Omega. But then uh, you realize it wasn't Pentagon under the mask. It was Chris Jericho who popped up and beat the tar out of Kenny Omega as he fired the first salvo again. They had a great match back at Wrestle Kingdom 12 back on January 4th. An awesome, awesome match. And again, it's been overshadowed by some of the other great matches that have happened in New Japan over the course of the year. But when you look at it, he uh, fired the salvo because... Chris Jericho will be teaming with Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks, against Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes and Marty Skrull on the Cruise of Jericho, uh, or Jericho Cruise, the, uh, also known as the Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. It's going to be essentially a cruise ship. They've got a ring set up on the cruise ship, so this is going to be at sea. They're going to be having a lot of great wrestling matches and a lot of cool stuff going on there. So... If you've got it, I think they have a less than 100 cabins left. Go check that out. Go look up Jericho Cruise uh, on the internet and maybe sign up and get yourself a cabin booked on that one as some great, great matches are going to happen there. Uh, you know, it just some of the things that uh, have happened, some of the nitpicking, and again, I'm nitpicking. It was a great show. All the matches were wonderful. I mean, I would rate probably the worst one was probably at about two and a half stars if I had to do that. Some of the matches at the end... You know, uh, Kenny Omega and Pentagon was wonderful. Marty Skrull and Kazuchika Okada was a great match. And then uh, the triple threat match, or the uh, six, uh, six-man six tag match with the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi beating the team of Rey Mysterio, uh, Bandito, and Phoenix. Uh, those were all just great, great matches to wrap up the show. Just some of the nitpicks, and again, this is the Young Bucks and Cody. This is their first time ever running an event themselves and producing it. So there were going to be some technical issues. And again, this is the first time they ever did something like this. The crowd, I didn't think was mic'd up very well. They were still very responsive and it was awesome to see. But some of the tech issues they ran into there 
also had to go home very quickly. That last six-man tag match looked very rushed as they had to go home because they were running out of pay-per-view time uh, because Okada and Skrull went long. So that was just something you had to, 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 to look at, which, again, is not an issue when you watch the WWE Network except the fact that they run too long, just the matches sometimes. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, but it was great. I enjoyed it. I watched it. And I had a lot of fun and enjoyed it. It was cool to see a big event like that uh, in America that was not the WWE. So, really awesome. I hope they get to do it again next year. We'll see what happens there. Speaking of the WWC, the build to Hell in the Cell continues. Uh, This time, though, the Shield gets beat down and laid out by uh, many of the heels on the roster, including now the new... It looks like trio of Braun Strowman aligning himself with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre, who, by the way, beat the B-team to become new Raw Tag Team Champions, so congratulations to them. But the highlight to me was, uh, as they talk about the Super Show down under, the big event uh, and the big match that's happening there uh, that we know about is Triple H versus The Undertaker one last time. Shawn Michaels made an appearance on Raw to make his pick and who he thinks is going to win, and he's siding with his buddy Triple H, but The Undertaker came out and cut a great promo. It's a great promo. You guys need to check out all that. It just makes me talk back to these guys who can go out there and cut a great promo, and you don't need 18 writers to do it. They knew what they were doing. It reeked of awesomeness, so they need just guys like that back who know what they're doing. Um, but, of course, one of the cool things now to wrap up the show is uh, coming up on the WWE Network, and I guess you, you I, I get, no, I suggest you check it out. The May Young Classic, the second year they're doing this. Of course, Kyrie Sane beat Shayna Baszler in the finals last year to win that, and of course now they have both held the NXT Women's Championship, so you can see what this type of tournament can be as a launching pad for a lot of these women wrestlers. It's going to be another great one as 32 women vie for the championship, and the finals uh, this year will be held at that all-women's pay-per-view that they're having called Evolution. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, It should be great. We'll recap some of the matches as they go along here uh, throughout the next couple of weeks as they release, I think, probably about four matches every uh, every week on Wednesdays after NXT on the WWE Network. So check those out if you can. My pick, uh, if I'm going to have to pick, I'm going to go with another Japanese uh, wrestler, Kyrie Sane, one, the inaugural one. I'm going to go with another one, Ayo Shirai. She is amazing. You should check out some of her stuff. I think she's going to go over Tony Storm in the finals at uh, Evo- at the Evolution pay-per-view. So check that one out. I've got Ayo Shirai beating Tony Storm to win the second annual May Young Classic. But that's going to wrap it up for me here on Modern Day Gladiators. And again, I have been your humble host, the man in the arena, Michael Shibley. Check me out again on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley. And, of course, check out all the great other stuff uh, and other great shows that we've got on the network at stagediverradio.com and wherever you get your fine podcast. But that's going to wrap it up for me. I love you guys. Have a great one. We'll be back with more stuff as, of course, football is now in full swing. I love you guys. Too sweet. I will see you next time.